Coming up next, the No Forecast edition of Astrological Metaphysical Radio. That is, if we can get an introduction. Well, I'm glad my... Oh, wait a second. We don't have any introduction music here. Real good. Major moon wobble. Major adjustments. <laughs> well, for the first time in the history of the show, Marilyn, I have no introduction. I think somebody erased my cart. Okay, well, we'll just fix that because I happen to bring my handy-dandy introduction card here. So uh, I'm not worried. Listen, I've had all kinds of transits in my life, so I can handle them all. No problem. Thank you. Good afternoon, Los <laughs> Angeles and Southern California. I'm Farley Malaris, and you're listening to Astrological Metaphysical Radio, the phenomena of the 80s, also known as the Astrology Hour, on KFOX, 93.5 FM, your talk alternative. The Astrology Hour is a public-supported radio show, produced by Leo Scorpio Productions, and now, the Astrology Hour, on KFOX. Well, good afternoon, Los Angeles and all of Southern California, and welcome to the No Forecast edition of Astrological Metaphysical Radio. And I'm having a transit. <laughs> I'm having a transit. Somebody's messing with my carts. It's hard to produce a show when you can't get anything coordinated here. But anyway, it's okay. You know, it's only life on Earth. It's just the third dimension. Every time something happens like this, I just write it off and say, hey, this is a hologram. You know, maybe painful once in a while, but no problem, it's a hologram. Okay, now, before we do anything else, let's go to the senior edition of the Malaris clan. Fred Malaris, my dad, on line one. Yo, Pop. Yo, Pa. What's going on, Dad? Well, Pa, after all these, these years, I was able to secure a franchise on a beautiful cap with all the different signs and full colors that you could use. I've got it on an exclusive basis. A hat, you mean? A cap that you can... Work out whereby you can have it for yourself and with all the different signs, like a, like a pre-printed sun hat, you know. Oh, it's got the 12 signs of the zodiac on it. signs, yeah. Capricorn and, and the Pisces and Virgo and... Huh. Beautiful, but it's uh, something very unique. It's brand new. I thought that uh, I'd surprise you and tell you about it. You know, maybe we can uh, work out a deal and, if, if possible, offer it to the members and then we'll all be identified by Astrology Hour hats. They love it. They love it. It's all they have to do is people can look at their head and say they know who they were. <laughs> Does it? Can we get a, a private logo on there, too? And also, you can, well, you can put anything you want on there. What's it, like a baseball cap, Dad? It's like a sun hat. It's shaped like a baseball cap, yes. Uh-huh. All right, well, I'll be by after the show, and we'll check it out then. You got it, big guy. How you doing? Oh, we're holding it down. Everything is copious. You know, last week on the air, I predicted the... Uh, Pistons would beat Boston by 6, they beat them by 5, and the Lakers would beat Dallas by 16, they beat them by 15. You know, I picked uh, the Lakers in, in the big series against Detroit to beat them in 7. What do you think? Well, <laughs> the way they've been going, it's probably take 9. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dad, we'll see you sometime after the show. Thank you for calling, too. All right, good luck to you. Bye-bye. And whether we offer that hat or not, at least I'll have one. <laughs> yeah! Okay, so today is a no-forecast day, so don't pay attention to the introduction I talked about. Not doing readings today, but I am doing questions, general questions. All right, today's topic is called personal planets, and uh, involved in that sector, we're going to be talking about the part of the astrology chart that gives a person identity or character and personality. Basically, the sun, which is your soul, the moon, which is your emotional factor, rising sign, which is your personality and appearance, 
Mercury, which is your how you think and how you speak and your creative mind. Venus, your values and love factor. And Mars, your life force and health factor. See, the outer planets of Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto are considered more as generational planets. Of course, they do affect us as far as their house placement, but as far as sign placement, because Jupiter stays in one sign for a year, and Saturn stays in a sign for two and a half years, and Uranus stays in one sign for approximately seven years, with Neptune and Pluto remaining in one sign for 12 to 16 years. Obviously, we're dealing with much longer generations. See, we have Mercury skittering through signs with Venus and the Sun once a month. Now, of course, the Moon changes signs every two and a half days. The rising sign changes signs around every two hours. And then Mars will change signs. Well, about one to six months it'll change signs, usually one to two months. So obviously, with these planets moving a lot rapidly, a lot more quicker, we are definitely zeroing in today as far as looking at refining one's character and looking at someone's chart to try to interpret their personal nature or where they're coming from. You know, like the outer planets really reflect upon us a quality that is absorbed with our generation. Like everybody born with the same Jupiter right now in Taurus. For example, 1952 and in 1964, Jupiter was in Taurus thereabouts. 1976, around there now, 1988 here. But with Jupiter in Taurus, all the babies born with Jupiter in Taurus have the same philosophical factor as far as expansive nature is concerned. It's a Taurus vibration. So we have a very strongly loving vibration coming from that generation with Jupiter in Taurus. See? And then Saturn, of course, which is the planet we talked about Friday, will reveal upon to us the major problem or debt or lesson that is to be learned for any particular life cycle. And Uranus, of course, the awakening factor as far as transformation and metamorphosis goes. Neptune, the spiritual factor and and contact with higher planes. And then Pluto, the transitional planet, and also plugging us into more occult parts of our soul or the multidimensional self. So when we stay with the planets closest to the sun, between the Earth and, of course, Mars, which is closest to the Earth. When we, when we get beyond Mars, we go much further out of the solar system, and also the planets do get larger until you get to Pluto there towards the end. So, really, zeroing in on someone's personality and nature, as far as beginning astrology is concerned, like, let's say you just met someone, and you want to get to know what they're like, what they're about, well, if you can master the fact of Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and rising sign in their chart, then you'll have a really good head start of trying to figure out the personality and where this person is coming from. Because, like I say, the babies born in any one particular year may all have Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto in the same sign, but most of them will have different personal planets, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Sun, Moon, and Rising, which does give more of a final or an accurate imprint on the person's soul. That's why generations do relate to each other. That's why all the people that go through schooling together seem to reflect a different vibration because they all have the same outer planets. Most of them, of course. And that's why, as sometimes generations change, you ever talk to teachers, they will comment how it was easier this year than it was the last two. Maybe a Saturn-Aries generation left and a Saturn-Pisces generation coming in or whatever. I mean, Saturn-Taurus generation coming in. So you really can zero in on understanding people more by knowing the difference between the generational planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, which will stay in the sign, all of them, for at least approximately one year. See? And when Jupiter will change its next sign, go to the next. Then every two and a half years, Saturn will change. And then the personal planets giving us more of a final imprint. Well, what's the story here on the personal planets? Well, from what I have zeroed in on the metaphysical impact of the sun sign, I have zeroed in on actually taking a look at the zodiac, the 12 signs and the 360 degrees that make up the zodiac as like a path that a particular soul will embark upon in this dimension, the third dimension. And depending on the creative force that is expressed any time during this path, 
what happens is you earn or you qualify or you radiate towards a particular vibration in the 12 zodiac signs. So depending where your sun sign is by degree and minute will epitomize the sun's reflection or the soul's reflection of its own creative nature and creative process. So the location of the sun in the natal chart, depending on what sign it's in and what degree it's located in, will epitomize the soul's expression. For example, I myself being an 18-degree Leo sun, obviously my soul's expression is Leo 9 in nature, and obviously you can also call all this week to find out what your sun sign means, because we're going to do Sabian symbols of the sun this week too, which means that if you wanted to know what epitomized your soul's expression, you'd want to know exactly what the degree of that sign meant. Well, the 18th degree of Leo, for example, is a vibration that strives to gain humility and express humility to refine ego, to learn detachment, and not to become too involved with the inconsistencies of this planet, but actually very much into metamorphosize the higher octave of Leo as far as developing that and letting go of some of the selfish tendencies that Leo can embrace. So, see, for example, you find out what your sun sign is, then you'll understand where your soul has come in its path of creative expression. Isn't that wonderful? See, the moon, the moon is a wonderful reflection of emotional karma because emotions are a power that we all have. And with this power, we have the power to love people and we have the power to hate people. Obviously, love is dharmic and hate is karmic, meaning that the more love you project, the more positive reflection of emotional karma comes back to you when it comes time for you to incarnate and qualify for a particular moon sign, then you will possibly have more of a higher octave in lunar expression. For example, moon in Taurus is said to be exalted, so people with Taurus moons supposedly have not accumulated that much emotional karma, so they're a lot nicer people in general. And moon in Scorpio, where my moon is, is in fall, and that's the worst placing for the moon. So obviously we find out that people with a Scorpio moon have accumulated some negative emotional karma, anger, and hatred, and that's why Scorpio moons try to be more gentle and more vulnerable when they have that. So when you get a Scorpio moon, you're at the bottom of the emotional barrel. But see, it's important to know this, to understand a person like when I meet people that are Scorpio moons, I know that they're not as bad now as they might have been in a past life because that Scorpio moon will definitely put the clamp on being severely emotional and creating too much negative karma because the person already knows that there's a vulnerability there, that something is there that might have created this emotional process. That's why being a Scorpio moon can be rather frightening. The other moons kind of fit right in the middle of it somewhere, right? The Aries moon more childlike, the Gemini moon much more psychological in its emotional expression, and the Cancer moon, moon and Cancer more at home emotionally, so more secure emotionally because moon rules Cancer. So we have another vulnerable, sensitive expression with the Cancer moon. Then the Leo moon, also childlike and very gregarious and and outspoken, and the Virgo moon, much more practical and ethical. So you actually earn your emotional factors considering what you've done in past lives, and this does a lot to help us understand the personal imprint on a particular soul that would be housed by a particular sun-moon combination. The rising sign is interesting because astrologers believe, from what I have learned, the final imprint of the soul enters the baby at multiple times the speed of light entering from the eastern horizon because that is the direction the earth is spinning. So as the soul enters it, it comes straight down to the earth and then enters the city and the country, of course, and the state, and then the hospital and the baby's body from the east. And that eastern horizon, or the birth point, is called rising sign, or soul entry point. What I refer to as I am point, or physical reflection of God here on this planet, which means that the I am point, or the rising sign, also known as the personality and the childhood factor and the self factor, is also the God point, 
are that unique illusion of separation, the separation that we have chosen to reflect a certain segment of the God particle, if you know what I mean. So understanding rising sign will definitely help you understand yourself, your identity, your childhood, and compatibility factors. The rising sign in the astroscope in the paragraphs is called the ascendant, A-S-C-E-N-D-A-N-T. So read your instructions to find that out. And it's located at the far left side of the wheel where the nine would be in the clock face. It's at the end of a bunch of asterisks. Mercury is an interesting planet because Mercury tells us about a psychological factor, whether a person can communicate at all, if any, at what level of communication, also whether a person can sell, teach, console, actually introvert or extrovert factors are involved with Mercury, and mental factors, psychological factors like neuroses, psychoses, paranoia, and wonderful things that we can help us understand ourselves psychologically speaking, therefore reasoning why many psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists are learning astrology and incorporating it in their work because of the mercury factors that are so important in understanding one's psychological level. So obviously by knowing where your mercury is, like my mercury is in Leo, a lot of us have sun conjunct mercury in the chart, which makes us sort of like Gemini Virgo in effect because mercury and the sun, even though mercury is a tiny planet, and the sun is so large, when we're dealing with cosmic chakras, see, we're dealing with a god particle that's not only inside the star, the sun, but also a god particle that's inside the planet, because the planets are living entities also. The planets are living, breathing, alive entities, organisms, okay? And they have chakras, and they have entity, you know? Just like an ant has a god particle, and so does an elephant, okay? Because where there's life, there's god. <laughs> you got to believe that's where that stuff comes from. Life is created by the force of god the creative force. So even though Mercury is so small, its impact is still felt. That's why when Sun and Mercury are in eclipse, we still have a mercurial effect because of the chakra, the cosmic chakra effect that can combine with the Sun's chakras to create a Gemini Virgo identity in case you do have a Sun-Mercury eclipse in your chart like me. Hence the Gemini Virgo techniques that I use many times with the analysis and the communication. See? Okay, now we're going to talk a little bit more about the personal planets. We've already discussed Sun, Moon, Rising, and Mercury. We'll get more deeply into Venus and Mars to understand values and life force. Isn't it funny? We've understood the soul with the Sun, the feelings with the Moon, the personality and character with the Rising, and how the person thinks, speaks, and communicates with Mercury. So we get into Venus, we get into the values and love vibration, and Mars, we get into the life force, also the male-female factors in Venus and Mars. So very, very interesting subject and a good basic astrology or intermediate astrology subject for you. Actually, Venus and Mars really do make a wonderful final imprint of the character and personality because, let's face it, without Venus and Mars, it'd be difficult to breathe, live, actually exercise, or enjoy things. Because I really think that Venus is a planet, for example, that really defines taste. It defines hunger, it defines desire, and it many times can define ambition. And obviously, when we're talking about love vibrations, and feminine qualities that we seek or that we have, then we analyze the planet Venus in sign. That's why whenever I meet a woman that I'm interested in, I always look at her Venus, because I want to see if she has a heart and a soul. Not to say that people don't have a heart and soul, depending on where your Venus is, but I just find my particular Venus in Cancer is very tender and very vulnerable and very romantic and extremely sensitive and intuitive. So obviously I'm going to get along better with a person that will have a complementary Venus or Mars hopefully Mars on the better end, because you always look for a Venus-Mars blend when you look for compatibility as far as elements are concerned, like fire actually complementing fire and earth, earth, air, air, and water, water. So obviously with my Venus in Cancer, I will always relate better 
on many emotional levels with women who have Mars in Cancer on my Venus, in Pisces, trying my Venus, or in Scorpio, trying my Venus. Yeah! Okay, and then, <laughs> and then Mars, on the other hand, is our masculine factor that we all have. And I believe that Mars is the energy we absorb at birth that really decides a lot about our life and death factor, our transformation factor, personal health transitions, and really what keeps our heart beating and our lungs breathing and our cardiovascular system and circulatory system going. It's that Martian energy, which is the life force, or really the spark of God, the battery of God that keeps this body going. Now also, when we talk about this life spark, obviously many people that are interested in men, for example, gay men or heterosexual women, they would look at a person's Mars. I'm sorry, you'd look at the Mars in their chart. You look at the Mars in their chart. See, Mars tells us what kind of men you'll like for sex or for friendship. You got it? So that's why people with Mars, for example, in a particular sign like Mars and Libra like mine, I would attract male friends who would have air compliments like Gemini, Aquarius, and Libra also to go along with me because, of course, I'm not gay. But if I was a woman with Mars and Libra or a gay man, then the same thing. You would want to also have those complementary qualities, Libra, Aquarius, or Gemini, similar elements to complement your Mars. See, Venus and Mars are important to understand compatibility because it tells us about love and sex, Venus being the love vibration and Mars being the sexual connection. So when we have a Venus-Mars complement, a conjunction or a trine or a sextile, then usually the love vibration and the sexual vibration is more enhanced, the sex is better, and of course it's a wonderful meeting ground. You talk about kundalini intuition and kundalini vibration. If you have a better Venus-Mars comparison for two people, you're going to have more of a kundalini experience sexually. That's why those of you that experiment with partners will find that your sex lives are improved when you have more of a Venus-Mars complement between your mates. And then it might not be as hot or as exciting if it's in stress or if it's not complimented, if it's just like out there, it's just an alien comparison, like a quinx or a square or an opposition or something. Sometimes oppositions work. Yeah, Venus-Mars oppositions can work. I, I have trouble with women that have Mars and Capricorn oppose my Venus in Cancer. But once in a while, ends meet. <laughs> once in a while, the Mars and Capricorn women, of course, are very ambitious and usually have nothing else on their mind but career, success, and money. But if they have a chance to mellow out a little bit, then maybe they'll have time for the men. But uh, like I say, if you really want to understand people and get into their personalities, you want to focus on the personal planets. The sun, which is the expression of the soul. The moon, which is the vibration of the emotions. The rising, which is the God point or the illusion of separation that you have chosen. The mercury, which is the psychological factor and your brain factor. Venus, which tells us what life is worth, if anything, and what we enjoy in it. And Mars, which is the battery that fuels the whole thing and makes the whole machine work. So know your personal planets, analyze them, spend time on them, and when trying to learn compatibility or trying to figure out where another person's coming from, learn their personal planets too. All right? A good topic, an impromptu topic here on the Astrology Hour, and I hope you enjoyed it. Let's go to Alexis first on line two, and welcome to KFOX and the Astrology Hour. How are you? I'm fine. What's your question today? Well, I would like to know how you see the purpose of the universe, okay? Not just the Earth, but the Earth is a part of it. I mean, I'd like to have a full understanding of what everybody's here for. I almost have to give that a 9.7. That, that may rank as being one of the best questions. Not only I've heard on this show, but in my whole life. Yeah, you're, ta- you're talking about something that I constantly think about all the time, I'll tell you. Is it just one big cycle? There has to be something... Well, I'll tell you what it is. You see, the God force is like an amoeba. Mm -hmm. And as it creates and as it manifests, it keeps dividing. 
into other cells that are still connected to it, but reach out and go beyond this center. Now, in this metamorphosis process, what happens is, as it keeps dividing itself, and more and more cells get further away from the amoebic center, then these cells also begin dividing and creating more cells, and they divide, and and as you get down the ladder and down the line, then what you end up with is something like Earth. See, Earth is the result of billions and billions of these God's particles that had divided from the source God knows how long ago, because Earth is just one of an infinite amount of possibilities that have been created in the megaverse by the over-God or by the amoebic soul, that I call it. And what happens is that this is what the power of this essence is, is creation. And it's like this essence is not of a nature of to just lie dormant infinitely and to lie dormant eternally without making something. That's why all of us have an instinct, most of us at least, to do something, make something, become somebody. Because this is like a low-level, a third-dimensional expression of the God force in this dimension. So the purpose of the universe really is like breathing, it's like a heartbeat, it's like the waves of the ocean, it's like any vibration kind or any bell curve, which means that these cells first go out away from God and way down here to third dimensional levels, and then they pull back to the source and they become the great power of light again. So it's a vibration where everything gets real detailed and analyzed and far away from the source after several billion, billion years, and then after a while it all comes back into one big light particle. It's like it's like the tides going in and out. So how close do you think we are coming back to where we were? Far. <laughs> Far away. Well, I, Everything keeps growing and changing? I think what's happening now is that we've reached out and gotten pretty much as far away from the God source as we can get. And we're at the point of starting to come back. Yeah, I think what's happening now is the reason why this time is so special is because we're about to begin the rebound. And what everyone is really fighting for without knowing it is the time for us to recharge and all go back to the light, which is a multi-million year process. But still, we have to start somewhere. And the thing is, is that because we do have eternity, you know, obviously this is not something that goes on overnight. So what happens is everyone gets so far away from the light that those of us that are teachers and tied into the light have to kind of reveal to them what's going on to try to pull them back. So once we get back, we'll start all over again? Yep, all over again, that's right. That's what eternity is all about. It's a big vibration that keeps going. Better and better? Yeah, it's like you and I might find it difficult for us to conceive eternity, and sometimes when I think about it, I get the chills. I kind of get frightened because I start to think, wow, there was always something before this, and there's always going to be something afterwards. But the way the cycle works with all these things we do throughout time, it kind of puts a buffer on the fact that of this eternal vibration that we exist in and kind of makes it, I think, a little easier to handle for all of us. Yeah. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, it's certainly a lot to think about. Okay, now I'm not guaranteeing that as a true answer. That is my opinion of the purpose of the universe, and, and I think that, you know, a lot of people would have opinions too, and I welcome them calling in. That's a great question. Thank you, Farley. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Oh, let's go to Tamara now on line four. Hi. Hi, Farley. Don't laugh when you get to my name. No, I was just laughing at that last question we got. <laughs> Hi, I have a question did, about... Wait, did you relate to that answer? Did that sound right to you? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Now, I have a question about karma. About eight months ago, I was in a relationship. I ended up at the end of the relationship in the same spot I would have been had I not gone through the relationship. I'm curious, is the end result... Karma, is it inevitable? Will you always get to that spot no matter which pathway you take? You mean you had zero growth? 
No, no, I had growth, but I mean, financially, physically, it was like the whole relationship was a waste of time. But you had spiritual growth. Yes, I did. Okay, I don't call that a waste. Okay. See, like the mistake people make is that we think we're going to improve materialistically or physically with any relationship, and we're not really looking for that kind of growth. If you get spiritual growth, that is more valuable than anything material in this dimension. What I'm trying to figure out is, would I have gotten to that point anyway? No. Usually to have spiritual growth, you have to tackle your karma, and that means relationship confrontation. Okay. Okay? All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Let's go to Eric, a gentleman on line one. Hi, Eric. How are you doing, Farley? Were you comfortable with the way I answered that first question? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's real hard in the human body to try to express the purpose of the universe, if you know what I mean. From what I've studied, that's... What I think is true. So what's your question, Guy? Okay, uh, I was wondering, do you think that uh, the Bermuda Triangle could be a major Earth chakra, just like the North and South Pole? Well, uh, that's a good question. From what I've studied and from what I remember in my past life regressions, there were some monolith crystals on Atlantis, and we're talking crystals that were even a mile long. And actually, these were crystals that have been theorized that were beamed here from another dimension or another planet, and also crystals that have been found on Earth that were recovered to Atlantis and placed safely under the ground prior to the Great Wars. Now, when the continent was reduced, I believe that much of this crystal vibration was actually preserved. And I believe what we really sense more than anything, besides there being a chakra, you know, the Puerto Rican rift is extremely deep. It's one of the deepest parts of the entire ocean surface. So God knows what's down there, Eric, but I do believe I've been to the Bermuda Triangle about 10 times, and I do notice that when I went there before I had crystals, that my dream state was enhanced. Right. And that tells me logically that there's crystals down there that would affect my dream state. That's correct. So whether it's a chakra of the planet, I still feel that the Bermuda Triangle, because it was a heavily populated area of Atlantis, or kind of like the Los Angeles of Atlantis right there, that a lot of heavy, heavy equipment and crystal essence sunk with the continent and we still feel that vibration we can't see it we can't sense it we can't die for it but i believe it's down there right okay okay thank you all right bye-bye bye let's go over here to susan on line five hi susan hi yo how are you listen i had a question and it sounded like similar to the one the first question okay but i'm going to ask it anyway and if it is similar i have another question (laughs) so um what is the relationship of the um, astrology to the Bible or the Old Testament, they were relationships. Oh, yeah. I think both parts of the Bible and astrology are, are plugged into uh, higher meanings and higher conscious concepts. I do feel that astrology is a science that was revealed to us from our higher selves throughout time mm-hmm. and also from extraterrestrial interjections or visitations that may have taken place on this planet. I also believe that many of the miracles in the Bible were actually extraterrestrial experiences mm-hmm. that they tried to document at that time, and they had a lot of trouble trying to explain it so everybody wouldn't think they were crazy. Because even today, if you see and board and spend time on a UFO with aliens, who's going to believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I do believe that astrology and metaphysics and occult information as far as soul mechanics and definitions of the soul and reincarnation and stuff are all through the Bible, because you notice a lot of the saints and a lot of the prophets, and including Christ, do come back, and they keep coming back and being reincarnated, Mm -hmm. which makes sense that we all are in that way, and that the three wise men, of course, were the three astrologer kings at that time who followed the grand conjunction with a supernova Mm -hmm. to lead them to the birth of Christ, 
And then, of course, Christ was in Egypt for a long time in the missing years, and he learned about astrology from the Egyptians, and that's why he chose 12 apostles, one for each sign. Mm. Uh, the Jewish religion is rooted tremendously in astrological and metaphysical foundations with their chanting, with their meditations. Also, the 12 tribes of Israel, each governed by a different zodiac sign. And uh, actually, you do find astrology and metaphysics totally woven through the Bible and our fundamentalist religions, tremendously so. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. Oh, great. That's good questions. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks. Jackie is on line seven. Hi, Jack. Hi, Polly. How are you? Real good. Thank you for calling. Okay, my question isn't quite as deep as all these other ones. <laughs> I have a question about karma and how to resolve it. Okay, how to absolve it, you mean? Absolve it, okay. Oh, okay. It's just that basic then, huh? Well, I was in a relationship with a man over four years ago, and I left him for my husband. And we've been together three years, and we have a son, and everything's good, but sometimes I'll just get bad luck, and I'll think, like, that's Paul, you know, karma from leaving him. Is there hmm. any way to absolve it, maybe by calling him and saying... Well, you know, actually, if you're married, you should probably not have any uh, physical contact or verbal contact mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. You might want to send him a letter with no address. Right. <laughs> that just That you sign it, that just basically tells him that you enjoyed that part of your life, and even though... You're unable to have any contact with him because you're happily married now with a family. You'd like to thank him for that participation, and you'd like to take this opportunity to wish him well and send him love We've and light. We've done all that. We've done all that. But well, then you've pretty much absolved it then, right? I guess. I guess we have. I mean, do you have feelings of intimacy still? No. Okay. No, then... He's in New York. I mean, he's far away from me. Then it's pretty much over then. Yeah. Okay, then you've done what you've had to do, I, I would think. Okay. If there's ill feelings on either side... That's what I think, that maybe he still has some ill feelings. Could that come to me in some way? Maybe. It might. But I kind of doubt it. I don't think anybody would have. Unless you left him or rejected him or dumped him or something. Well, I left him. Oh, well, maybe he does then. Maybe he, maybe he's still dealing with some anger, but he'll get over it. Maybe you should take up meditation, because in meditation... See, it's not actually a karma that's outside of yourself. The karma is with your soul. It's between Jackie and her soul. That's where the karma is. You're really not hurting him, you're hurting yourself. So what you have to do is you have to become at peace with yourself over this matter. That's why people take up meditation, so they can see this thing in perspective in their higher self and their intuitive mind, and that way process it easier. Does that help? Do you, why don't you take up meditation and try that? Okay, thank you, Father. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, let's go over here to line number eight and talk to Peggy. Hi, Peg. Hi. How are you? Good. First, I wanted to give you some feedback. You talked to my son last February, and he asked you about college, and you told him that you saw him going off uh, a thousand miles away, and you hit it right on the nail. He got (laughs) to the University of Oregon. (laughs) So I just wanted to thank you for that. Oh, thank you. And anyway, my question is, I read a book called When Rabbit Howled by Trudy Chase, and it's a story about a woman who was abused as a child, and as a result, she ended up with 90 multiple personalities. And I was just wondering, in your opinion, how, you know, such a phenomenon can uh, manifest. Well, you see, when people are traumatized and when people get beaten or yelled at or screamed at, they're not real comfortable in their bodies. And what happens is, for whatever reason, a lot of us go kind of catatonic or we kind of go comatose or something. In childhood, the children are so vulnerable and sensitive that if they're in a pretty balanced state, in a pretty happy state, There's like a natural chakra protection. But if you're traumatized, then you kind of vacate your body. You have a few more oobs than normal, even if you're conscious. And that natural chakra protection is broken down, which allows other entities from the limbo state 
to penetrate, and that's why many of us get these entities when we're children, especially during traumatized childhoods. Now, I have never heard of more than about 15 or 20 entities. 90 appears to be like a 16-wheel load. (laughs) You know, you're talking about, you know, this person's a whole city already here, you know. Yeah, she calls them the troops. Uh Uh-huh, well. They voted not to, um, you know, become one core personality. They all decided to stay separate. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously, when you have that many different entities, they're not from the higher planes. They're from they're trapped in limbo, and they're using this body as, as their expression. The quality of these personalities might not be as high or as pure or as innocent as a conscious being from beyond this dimension. I would kind of think that she might be in trouble. Yeah, it almost sounded like demonic possession or something to me when I'm yeah. reading it. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, thank you very much. That's a good question. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, let's go to Ed now on line number six. And Ed, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Real good. Good questions today, huh? Yeah, I like a lot of them. All right. Anyways, my question is, I've heard you comment before about following the moon in your chart and how it could be beneficial for beginning students to study it. And I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on why it's beneficial. And also, when you start to track the moon, like it's in Pisces today, but do you place it in your Pisces in your chart mm-hmm. or the chart of the you know, the natural one that starts at zero degrees Aries. No, you always place the moon in your chart. And what you do is you follow it through the houses. See, like, this does a few things. It, first of all, gives you a feel of what each house means to you, Uh number one. Because when the moon enters a house for two and a half days, you start to note the activities you do, and you start to feel the cycle of your life. Uh The way the moon impels you emotionally to go through certain experiences. Like, it never fails. I always get excited when the moon either trines my Venus or conjuncts it because I know something with love and money is happening today and it's usually going to be fun, (laughs) okay? A lot of times moon conjunct Venus or trine it will mean good sex or raises or advances or promotions. And that's why, as an astrologer, the obsessive part of me goes, all right, I'm having a moon trine Venus today. But not only that, when the moon goes through the houses, you really do help validate astrology. I think it actually uplifts you and boosts your awareness level and plugs you more to the intuitive part of yourself that not only follows the moon, but knows where the moon is every day. Sometimes after a while, you don't even have to look it up. You can just kind of You can it. feel, oh, the moon's in Aries. Or you can feel when the moon will go from Pisces to Aries. Uh-huh. When that vibration shift happens, then you'll be aware. Like I finished my root canal today, and the moon's in my house of health, in my sixth house. Okay. And, uh, you know, last week, the moon was in my first, second, third, fourth, and fifth houses. And I was uh, involved in lots of personal stuff. I was I shaved my beard again, first house, when it was in my first house appearance. Uh-huh. And the second house, I resolved some bills with my boat. I had to pay for a, a thrown rod and a rebuilt engine there. When I went into the third house, I did some excellent topics here last week. We had some real good response on because I was in a teaching mode. Uh-huh. And then I was doing some things around my home when it was in the fourth house. When I was in the fifth house, I was in my romantic mood. Sixth house, I went to the dentist. <laughs> and I don't plan these things out, Ed. You know, it's like, at this point, I know it's unautomatic. But you do notice that you do make choices in your life many times because the moon is entering a certain house that kind of triggers and your impulsive need or an impulsion in your life that says, you got to do this now. So I should uh, take it and, and place it in my Pisces in my chart right now and start from there. Yeah, you might want to make about 100 copies of your chart uh-huh. or actually put a plastic cover over it better yet. And then magic marker in the moon every day so you know where it is. Okay. Okay? Well, thanks for your help. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Let's go over here to Ron on line one. Hi, Ron. Hi, Farley. 
You know, I was just thinking, how would a person, for instance, you know the USA Today, uh, the weather page, and they have this nice, big, colorful page of weather all over the world. I was thinking, how would a person design uh, a nice astrology page if they want to do a whole, instead of a little dinky chart, a little dinky thing for Gemini or this or that, how would a person design a nice, big, full page or even two pages paper that will say, that, okay, today the moon is in such and such, today the Venus is in such and such, and then it would be like a little road map. Uh, well, I, I think just like a weather map, Ron, that you'd probably want to put a map of the solar system up. Yeah. Okay? And actually show the location of the planets in, in graphic visual, you know, full color if you want, exactly where they are for the day, showing showing where the moon and the planets will go for the 24-hour segment that we're talking about, with maybe a shaded area showing the movement of the moon during that 24-hour segment. And then in the body of the astrological column, you could, of course, discuss the effect of these transits. Well, there's a moon wobble today, and we'll explain to you what that means and how it affects us. And there's happens to be six planets retrograde or appearing to be moving backwards, and there's a section on that, what that means. And Mercury is also retrograde, which has a more significant effect, and that's what that means. And here's the void course moons for the rest of the week, and this is what that means, you know. And, and here's particular signs that are being set off more intensely so because of these particular planetary movements. Yes, that's what I'm getting at. Well, are you going to do something like this? Well, I think it's necessary. I think, especially for Los Angeles, I think people would know that today they should stay in bed, for instance. I think we have a lot of people <laughs> on the road that should be in bed, and they're having to go to work, and, you know, they're always talking about getting a four-day work week, and everybody should work at home. But I think if we get something so specific that says, okay, if your Venus is in such and such, and today's day is in such and such, you should stay home today. <laughs> I think that would clear up a lot of problems on the road. Thanks for your question, Ron. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. I would like to thank all of you for supporting the show and joining with us to keep us on the air here. We'll see you real soon tomorrow for the two-hour edition and weekdays on KFOX at 12 noon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.